Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Coffee and Open Source, a place to meet some new friends, have some great conversations, and maybe learn something along the way. I'm your host, Isaac Levin. And if you're enjoying the interviews here, be sure to like, subscribe, follow, wherever you're watching or listening. And also, if you're interested or know any folks that would be interested in coming on chatting, feel free to reach me on Twitter. My handle there is IsaacR11. All right, so with that out of the way, let's get started to my guest. We were having a great conversation before, and I got coffee ready. And I'm excited for my guest today because my guest today is Maddie Stratton. Maddie, do you want to say hello? Introduce yourself? Yes. Hello. I don't have coffee. I have my Diet Coke, but that's my tradition. So that works yeah. out well. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I, I, do you want to do a little intro to yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah. So my name is Maddie Stratton. Um, I'm currently uh, running uh, developer relations at a company called Ivan. Um, but I've been in the kind of tech space for a really long time. I've been uh, doing developer relations officially as my job for about four or five years. What is time? Um, but I've spent a, a very active, you know, you might know me from the DevOps side of the house. I've been involved in the DevOps movement for a long time, but uh, my background is um, operations. I would say I've worked in technology operations for a couple decades, and now they pay me to talk about it. And I'm uh, in the Chicago area. Um. Yeah, I think one of the ways that I would love to get started chatting with you, and I, I think there's a bunch of things we, you know, we were talking pre, pre, uh, pre live about some really, really great topics, but I'm really looking forward to it. Let's, uh, let's start with this. Uh, do you have a really good example of a tech origin story or, you know, a particular point in time where you're like technology, this is what I want to do. You know, maybe you have a more atypical one, like, oh, like I got a Commodore 64 or some other computer, right? Like some people have, other people have kind of like, oh, I'm second, this is my second career or I got into it via some sort of, you know, coding bootcamp. Like, do you have an example that you'd like to share? Um, For sure. So one thing that always comes to mind, and I, I never like to, you know, do this as sort of like a credential test of, I've been coding since whatever, yeah, 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 yeah. but um, I really, you know, first became exposed to computers, uh, like when I was in like second grade and we had the labs with like the Apple twos. But the one thing that I always remember as being really exciting to me was so in the local paper in the Chicago Tribune in the comics, in the Sunday comics, there was a section that was about programming. And sure. they would have like a program in basic. And I would cut that out and bring it into the computer lab in my elementary yeah. school and like you know, painstakingly type out these 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 programs in basic to make, you know, your name bounce around on the screen or whatever. And, and we all had those programs that was like 10, print, you know, Matt is awesome, 20, go to 10, you know. Yeah. But that was, so I've always been really enjoyed using computers. And I, um, one other thing that's sort of along the way that strikes me is when I was uh, a senior in high school and, you know, you had to sort of write your like senior bio for whether it was for choir or drama or something like that. And one of the things I said, one of the things was, where do you see yourself in five years? And I said, in five years, I was either going to be a happy but unsuccessful actor or a successful but miserable computer programmer. And I think it's interesting for a couple of reasons, because anybody who knows me knows that I do not write good code at all. And I would never call myself a programmer. But in 1992 or whatever, that was a computer job sure. that you would know about. And yeah, so I ended up, I did go, but that's sort of my thing. I, I didn't, you know, that I think that comment there kind of talks about so much of my career is serendipity. And I always love yeah. to do those paths. Like, how did you end up, like, how are you and I sitting on this Twitch stream today? Yeah. And what were all the weird things that had to happen? You know, like I had to, I was worked for an Apple service center and a lot of our, uh, you know, I was doing field service on Apple devices in the mid 90s, and a lot of our customers were pre press shops. 
and they all used Windows NT 351 as their RIP station. So I had to learn NT a little bit. And I never knew Windows. I never knew DOS. Yeah. I came from Unix and Mac and Apple and everything. But then I learned NT. And because of that, I worked for a Microsoft Systems Integrator. And then I spent 15 years as a Microsoft sysadmin doing all Windows yeah. back office stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's why then I went to go work at Chef. And I was the one they wanted to write, have me write SharePoint cookbooks. And But why did I go there? And, you know, it's it's... I think it's always kind of fun and there is, I will a hundred percent acknowledge all of the things I'm going to talk about with my origin story have been made easier by how I look. I am a white dude in <laughs> yeah. tech. Yeah, yeah. I have been given so many more opportunities and so much more benefit of the doubt. So let's just own that for a minute. But yeah. also it's kind of crazy that um, how you just sort of are like, Oh, okay. Well I made this one, what seems to be a, a random choice that then eventually shapes your entire career. Oh right. sure, yeah. No, I totally agree, and and thank you for the the comment about you know the way that both you and I look. I always find it very odd, like two white guys talking about stuff. <laughs> um, and, but I mean, there's an audience for two white. That's guys That's called talking a podcast, exactly, right? <laughs> I mean, I think you know we live we live in this world where two white guys talking will always get views. Um, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. I mean, so you you did a you threw out a bunch of stuff out there, right? Like things that you've done. And so what was it, at least maybe to your mind, that was so interesting about, you know, the app being on the Apple IIs, making your name bounce around? Was it literally like, I have all of this control to be able to do something with this box? Or was there a little bit of you like to tinker with things? Like, you know, we've had conversations with folks in the past where, you know, you know, that idea of like, oh, I'm a creative person. I like disassembling, reassembling things. Like you mentioned that you want to be a failed actor, which I think is awesome. Um, you know, what was it about computers? Like, do you have some ability or to think about that? Like some thought about that? I think a lot of it does come back to like a creative outlet. Because then I think about the things that I did, you know, like it was always what I could do with them though mm -hmm. too. So it's, it's, it's silly little things. And I think about like, I, mean, I shouldn't say silly because everything has value, but um, programming was a way to do things that the, that the machine didn't already know how to do, but really it was still about using computers. And I think that's why systems engineering and like infrastructure speaks to me more than development, mm -hmm. sure. right? Because I'm like, okay, these are tools and it's about making the tools do what you want them to do. And then eventually how do they talk to each other and where do they, where do they go? So it's like early on stuff like using a program on the Apple IIe in junior high called the newsroom to like make newsletters yeah. for student council. And then I was on the school paper and we used Aldis page maker, not even Adobe, you know, to do the yeah. layout and starting to learn and then, and then getting, and then quitting the school paper and creating an underground paper, but I knew how to use page maker so yeah. we could do that. And, and then continuing to go along and saying like, okay. And, and to me, then the internet being the very beginnings of, of, uh, expanding you know i'm a very in some ways i'm very not social in other ways i'm incredibly social I'm, I'm social in strange ways but like those early days of finding people who are interested in things that you were interested in the computer enabled that right and i think that's where that goes and then you start to learn things because they're part of it right like you start to do what and i think that's it's hard to sit down for me and pinpoint and say like okay what i love about technology now Mm -hmm. were things that I couldn't even comprehend as a, sure. a vague idea 30 years ago, right? You know, yeah. like, because a computer was a tool. It still is a tool, but it's a it's a doorway into uh, human communication. 
Oh, I mean, I think what you just, you said a couple of really brilliant things there. I love to use the, the anecdote, like we're just convincing sand to be intelligent, yeah. right? Like I, the, the idea that all of this is possible, like literally with stuff that's on the beach. I mean, not that stuff, but stuff. On right. The beach, but yeah, right? like I, it, it is something really outstanding to think of like what we have accomplished. Like you said, something as simple as getting your name to bounce around. Like my first introduction to compute to computing in general was like making the worst MySpace page you could possibly make, right? With like the most CSS in JavaScript that you could crash browsers with, right? Like that was like all the power that came with that. Like I kind of enjoyed being able to make a computer do what I wanted. And I think that's it sounds to me like you had a very similar take. At what point in time did you realize that it was something that you could do? and make money something that you could do and live a, a fairly comfortable life with. Yeah. I mean, it didn't start as a way to live a comfortable life. It started as a way to have a job yeah. and that's a hundred percent it. So like I am a two-time college dropout. So the first time I went to school, I went to school for theater and dropped out after a year and needed to make money and to live. Right. And mm -hmm. so I sold blinds at a company called Habitat for a little while. I tried to sure. be an interior decor salesperson. And then I was like, okay, well, I wanted to go back to school. And I'm like, I want to go back to school to learn something I can make money at. And so I enrolled at DeVry because I was serious about success. Um, that's a throwback to the old DeVry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, while I was there learning COBOL and stuff, there was a, you know, kind of an ad for someone, you know, they were looking for someone to come and kind of do like part-time work fixing computers, you know, it was, and it was at this, this little company called Glen Ellen Computer Services, and they were an Apple service center. So I learned how to fix Apple computers. And then that was the time I also, they were also an ISP. And so we hosted web pages, like very early yeah. on stuff. And so I started learning about web development. I became a webmaster for a company called Midwest Computer Works that was a competitor to CDW when CDW had competitors and we were a catalog <laughs> company and sure. had to have a website. And so it was all, but those were all just ways to, they were just, it was a job I could do. Yeah. And it wasn't, uh, and none of it really felt like it was a career at first. It was just, yeah. it was, it was a job. It wasn't a career. And then I started working like more in enterprises and corporate. And it was like, for a while, it was just a comfortable job. And I think, by the way, I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think, you know, we, 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 this is a thing that comes up a lot when it's like, oh, you need to have passion for coding and yeah. like live and breathe this. I'm like, you know, first of all, 90% of people who work in IT work nine to five. Yep. They do their job. At the end of the day, they peace out and go home to their family and live a whole different life. And that is awesome. That is great. That doesn't make them any less of an engineer. Uh, I had one, one of my absolute favorite coworkers I've ever had. He's one of my, my, you know, one of the best system engineers I know. We had great relationship and friendship during the workday. And I, I have probably seen Johnny outside of work three times in 20 yeah. years. Yeah. That's and and that's totally cool, right? Like, I mean, it's funny. I'm friends with his wife on Facebook, but like, I don't talk to him, yeah, because that's how I know what's going on in his life. As I look, yeah. you know, like, and so so that's the thing. I think, but then for me, it became a little bit more when it became like, okay, this is how these systems work, and especially, and I didn't even know it at the time, but it's a socio technical system. It's the people sure. part of it became really interesting and you sort of you look back and you're like okay well i was doing this work i again my, my friend john the his engineer I talked about he came to work for me once and we were uh and he's like you know i don't know anything about this devops stuff and i was like well you know i mean that was that's what i did and he looked at it, he goes 
this is just work. <laughs> you know, I yeah. was like, yeah, yeah. right. Like yeah. we're just, it's, it's the stuff we've been talking about for a long time and, and doing just doing in different ways. So I think that was sort of the, the flip point when it was like, there's an interesting way to think about things that maybe not everybody is thinking about it this way. Or what I found in my career is it's not even necessarily me coming up with a ton of original ideas. Oh, sure. You know, it's, it's a lot of my superpower with this is taking, like, I, I read every, you know, I mean, don't read, you know, all the stuff I absorb and saying, how do we distill this down into people who actually want to just do some work yeah. who just want to like chop wood, carry water, get stuff done. How do we take these big thinker DevOps ideas or if that is or whatever and apply them to all those folks we're talking about that are just like the, you know what, I'm not on Twitter. I don't go to conferences. Yeah. I don't you know, read all these blogs. I just come to work and do my job and leave. Great. Okay, cool. How do we make that stuff addressable? Uh, I, I have a funny anecdote, if you, if at least I think it's funny. Of course. So, um, so you may or may not know uh, a guy named Jabe Bloom. So Jabe and I work together at Red Hat. Jabe is a brilliant systems thinking genius. I'll just put it that way. And if he ever listens to this, he'll laugh at me for that. But we were working on... Um, when we were at Red Hat, we kind of did this interesting thing where it was, uh, it's called a book sprint and it's like, let's a group of people write a book in two weeks. Um, okay. it's interesting. Uh, but it was, it was very much. And so, uh, there was a chapter that Jabe and I were working on together. And so you sort of would everybody go off into their own little Google hangout rooms for a few hours and then you'd have to get a couple and then the, the project manager from the third party would come in and make sure you're on track. And sure. my job was, I decided, I figured it out was to take all of Jabe's big ideas mm-hmm. that would go off for pages and pages of pages of theory and saying, okay, how do we turn this into like, like I get all this and actually I would honestly love to sit and spend days talking about this with yeah. you, but it's one page of the chapter. So yeah. how do we distill that yeah. down? And I think that's one of the things I, I, I like to make things accessible, right? Yeah. For the people that don't want to do all the homework because they've got other stuff to do. Like I'll do some of your homework for you. Yeah, I, I will think... give you, it's not cliff notes, but you know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's filtering out the noise too. Like I think, you know, when you like every like if you've been if you've been in tech for long enough like there was this idea like oh like if it's not in a white paper you can't be taken seriously and white papers are like ridiculously unnecessary they're called white papers not a white paper yeah even though they're white paper they're really multiple papers lots of yeah Yeah. And, and but the idea is like if you can take that idea from that white paper and consolidate it into i don't know an hour long presentation a blog post or whatever like you have your audience is substantially larger, right? And I think that's really the important thing to what you're saying. It's about accessibility. I, for one, have a hard time reading 12 pages of anything, <laughs> let alone 12 pages of technical theory or technical ideas, unless they're very, very captivating and the writer's really, really good. But unfortunately, a lot of white papers I've read haven't been uh, the most exciting reads. Um, I think one thing, something that you said as well it, uh, a while back, what about kind of like a creative outlet, right? And this kind of coincides a lot with what we're talking about right now, like the ability to make things accessible. Accessibility just means entertaining, right? And at least that's it, it's a big part to me. Accessible, you know, when it comes to taking a larger, more heady sort of idea and making it more accessible has to be somewhat entertaining, right? Engaging. And, yeah, engaging is, is a better way to phrase that too. Thank you. But like, I imagine at some point in time in your life you realized, hey, this creative outlet, like this, you know, this interest in 
in the arts, this interest in acting, this interest in in what have you, and this idea of like technology, like there is some bridge between the two. When did you figure that out? Uh, so I'm pretty sure. I I, I think I know. Um, and again, not and if that it wasn't, any... and if it wasn't like some epiphany, like that's fine. No, too. it kind of is a, is a backwards one. Yeah. Um, and I was gonna say, not that there's any like Maddie Stratton historian <laughs> scholars who will correct me on sure. on my timeline, but I think so. When I was I was running technology operations for Apartments.com years ago, and I was invited to. You know, one of one of our vendors, you know, that that we you know we were one of their big customers, and basically was invited to like give a presentation at their conference. You know, as as customers do when you know when you're not a yep. DevRel, this is how you go speak at conferences a lot of times, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And it was really fun to me. Like I had a good time with it. You know, like uh, yep. you know getting and then they you know made me the keynote and I gave up and it was kind of fun and entertaining and all this and I was like this is pretty cool. And this was yeah. like, you know, I had studied improv and I loved performing and I didn't really have a place to do it. And was like, this is fun. Yeah. And so I started doing a little bit of conference, but it was very small, right? Cause I didn't really know, you know, and I remember, you know, first hearing about DevOps days and it was before I was involved with that when I was first learning about DevOps days, I just wanted to go to a DevOps day. The DevOps days, it was in Austin, yeah. but oh, it had been sold out. I couldn't get there or something. This was like in 2012, 2011, 2012. Um, but that was sort of the thing. It's like, yeah, I guess that epiphany was, you know, going to speak at this, you know, Serena software conference about like how we were doing software delivery, yeah. but, but in an entertaining way and kind of having fun with it and saying like, here's a way to exercise this part of me that I don't really have a way to do. Right. I don't perform in improv groups. I don't, you know, like, and now we have, there's maybe, maybe if it was at the time I would have started making TikToks or I would have become, you know, Justin Garrison and created all these clever, you know, sure. videos or Cassidy, not that I would put myself at their ability, but, um, but that kind of was it. And then just like sort of over, so there's that, that was maybe the epiphany, but it was still years before I started doing it as a job. Mm -hmm. But that's when the, not the bug hit necessarily, but sort of the like, oh, and then, you know, I was kind of doing a few things here and they would do that a little bit, a little bit. And then I was working in sales engineering, you know, for, for technology companies and you give a lot of presentations doing that. And I started doing a little bit of conference talks and then kind of hit that thing when it was like, wait a minute, you know, I saw it like I went to go, you know, um, someone said, hey, we're looking to hire a developer evangelist or a DevOps evangelist at PagerDuty. Like you would be good at that. And I was like, wait, you mean this thing that's like the 10% of my job that I love <laughs> yeah, could be yeah. my whole job? And the fun fact, by the way, is as soon as something becomes your job, you hate doing it and you yes. procrastinate it. Like yes. I, I remember I would write a blog post a day on my personal blog. Now you make it an OKR, it is pulling teeth to get me to write one blog post a month. I do not want it's not yeah. even because what it's about. I just you've just told me it's my job. So therefore I don't like it anymore. And I won't do it. <laughs> it's, it's so funny how accurate that is too. Like, I mean, I've gone through a, a kind of a different, a bunch of different hats in my career. This is like my first foray into like technically being in developer relations, right? And all this stuff, my, when I was talking to my wife about when I first started the job, she's like, oh, like all the stuff that you've done in your free time, you get to do for work. I'm like, yeah, and it's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 I, and there's something to say about like, you know, we have our passions that are outside of work. And once they start to drift into work, there is like this expectation that, well, it's like now people are expecting you to like deliver content constantly. 
And I think that's one of the, the areas that I love to kind of get your thoughts on is like, if you work in developer relations, this idea that you're always on, right? Oh, because you were doing it outside of work. Now you're doing it in work as well. So like now you have like 16 hours of Maddie, like talking about the things they love instead of just eight, right? Yeah. And it, it is like, it's funny because I think about um, maybe maybe in a bit of an example of this was a few years ago, more than a few years ago. Everything was a few years ago. <laughs> I uh, decided to go to um, DevOps Days Madison in Madison, Wisconsin is about mm -hmm. like an hour and a half drive from my house. And I was yep. like, cool. And I I just went to go. And uh, my friend Bridget was there with her her husband and because they were driving through. They were on their way on another trip. And Bridget and I were talking about how it was really novel and fun to be at an event where there was no responsibility. Yeah. I was like, I'm not here. I'm not speaking. I'm not an organizer. I'm not a sponsor. I'm not working a booth. I'm just here to hang out. Yeah. This is really kind of cool. This is how most people do conferences. What an idea. And I've done that before. Like, I mean, I've been a conference. I mean, I was a conference attendee for many years before I ever started working in the circuit, you know, and it was funny. I was actually talking to, um, to somebody at a dinner last week, and we were trying to remember the name of the Microsoft conference that was oriented towards IT pros. And actually, I was yeah. wondering if you can remember it. Do you know what it was called? Uh, My Ignite? Microsoft Ignite. No, no, no. Before Ignite. Oh, be before, before Ignite. Ignite. Oh. And, it was, I, and it was like there was a PDC was the developer yep. conference. Yeah, I don't and remember, do you remember what, what the, the... I don't remember the Tech IT Ed. pro Tech Ed, Tech Ed, that's right. Yep. And it took so, me it yeah. took me like an hour to remember Tech Ed, but I used to love to go to Tech Ed. And I went to the yeah. SharePoint conference and I went to yeah. Mix, you know, and just to hang out and and watch talks and stuff. Um, but yeah, that's the sort of the thing. Like I went to KubeCon last week. And honestly, I'm gonna be hundred percent honest, the main reason I went to KubeCon was because all my friends were gonna be in Detroit. Yeah. You know. And yeah. I booked I booked my hotel for KubeCon in the spring before I even knew if I had a reason to go there professionally, because I was like Again, for everybody listening or whatever, I live in Chicago. It's about a four and a half hour drive to Detroit. I was like, I'm just going to go, right? Like, it's easy to get to. It won't cost me much. I'll just pay for my hotel. I'll buy, get the conference rate. And as it happens, then I, I joined this new company and we had a booth. And I was like, cool, I'll work the booth. And now my hotel will get paid for. But I, but then it was kind of, it is a little bit hard because you, and just to be clear, Anybody who comes up to me at a conference and wants to chat about stuff, I absolutely want to talk to you. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy it and I love it. But also it is like it's a fine line to walk because you do start to become – you have these social relationships with people because yeah. we get to know each other. And you never really can turn it off because it, it would be – it would be – shitty let's be honest right yeah. like if i'm at a conference party and i don't know you like i'm a big believer in the you know make a croissant make the pac-man not a donut right like yeah. have a conversation yeah. invite people to it but sometimes i want to talk to my buddy yeah. who we just happen to yeah. know through work and that's why you just have to do that somewhere else yeah but but uh covid was actually i was last little thing about like the always sure. being on um I think one of the things i know it wasn't just me but a lot of us in this sort of sphere of the industry COVID hit us really hard because it was my realization. First of all, we everybody got locked into their house for a while. Mm -hmm. But then for a while, we could at least go out and go walk around a forest preserve with a friend yep. or whatever. My friends live all over the world. Yeah. And we all got used to seeing each other a couple times a month in random cities because, oh, well, I'm going to DevOps Days Minneapolis or, oh, I'm going to be at Go to Copenhagen or whatever. And you, you have these, and they're true friendships. They're your friends just happen to not live where you live. And when... COVID lockdown took that away 
it was really hard, yeah. you know, because you're like, I actually don't have it. It's funny. My ex-wife kept trying to make get me to make local friends because she's like, you know, you should be friends with with this guy. I mean, just, I almost said his name. I just, not that I expect yeah. he'd listen, but he's like, you, you guys always, I'm like, yeah, well, we're like, well, do our kids do Cub Scouts together. We yeah. see each other at Little League. It's fine. Oh, but I think you guys would be good friends. You need you need local friends. And oh. it's like. Yeah. yeah, and this is good. I'm, you know, I'm gonna have to curb my thoughts like very, very succinctly here because this is a rant. But like, my <laughs> wife and I, my wife and I have this discussion all the time about like me talking to people on Twitter, and she's yeah. like, and, and I'm like, these are my friends, and she's like, you've never seen their face. I'm like, that doesn't matter. <laughs> like, I, I, but, and I think you said something that's really, really spot on. It's like, you know, full disclosure, I met Maddie like a couple of months ago in person, right? And I was like, oh my God, I talked to you on Twitter, but I wanted to like shake your hand and say hello, right? And it was cool when we had a chat. Yep. Like that whole thing is like why folks like you and me, like that's the real reason we want to go to conferences. Yes, we want to be on stage. Yes, we want to help customers. Yes, we want to give away swag. We want to do all those things, right? Like, cause that's what we're being paid to do. And it, like, we want to do those things because our employer wants us to do those things. But really, we want the hang, right? We want to be able to go have dinner with people. If there's a speaker room, hang out in the speaker room, catch a, catch a, one of your friends, like give a brilliant talk that you would never have the opportunity to see. Like that is the whole thing why people that are in DevRel want to go to conferences, right? And I think it's very, very interesting that there's like this perception, and this isn't 100% accurate, that we just are kind of like influencers. Like we just show up, we do this thing and then we just hang out, right? Because this is like, at least in my opinion, we're in this community and all we want to do is just like find people that we can have a conversation with and just be authentic, right? And I think that's what's really, really interesting about all of this. Like, I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are, but like the dinner or the hang, the speaker dinner or the hang is like the best part of going to an event, period. Yeah, and 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 it, and and not even just. I mean, a lot of times we connect with other speakers and stuff because we probably find something in common. Um, so I have a, this. This has a, the again curtailing it because it goes into a whole other rant. Sure. But um, you all get to hear my rant about why Deserted Island DevOps was the best virtual event that's ever been done, and everybody's going to miss why. So for for background, if you're unaware, back in let's let's rewind back to 2020 COVID days. Um, this, this guy named Austin Parker put on a conference called Deserted Island DevOps, and its gimmick was that it took place in Animal Crossing. And so I got to speak at it. Um, and the thing was, after it was over, I was like this, and I still maintain it was an amazing virtual event. And from a speaker experience perspective in a lot of ways, and everyone is just going to get hung up on the fact that it was a gimmicky thing in a game. Sure. But here's why. Okay, so conference speaker, virtual rant engaging okay. uh people like to complain about pre-recorded uh events uh like a a speakers like to especially actually honestly i know almost nobody who watches them who complains about this it's always speakers whining about it like yeah. oh i hate to do pre-recorded and and why I, i'm gonna ask a question if maybe maybe you know the answer so what do you think is the most common reason people give for why they would rather do a talk a virtual talk live versus pre-recorded um I can tell you what my answer would be. Okay, as, well, go, as, go ahead. As, Maybe as, it's a, as like a certified narcissist. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly think that it's, I at least me, and this is 
like I am okay. when it comes to creating content, doing these talks, things like that. I I get a little bit anal retentive, a little bit OCD, okay. and a little bit of a perfectionist. So like I have a very very oh. hard time. Like hey Isaac, put together an hour long video because I'm like I'm gonna record seventy <laughs> versions times, of that yeah, video, okay. right? Whether, All right, I'll buy that one. Yeah. Okay, that's a legit yeah. reason. Yeah, uh, not, not that I'm judging. Okay, no. The reason yeah. that I get there's a reason I'm going with that. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I want no, to. You, you actually didn't go down the way that proves my point. Sorry, so, um, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> is I'll say, oh, well, you know what? As a speaker, I like to riff off of the other talks, and like, mm. you know, like Isaac gave this talk, and I could bring it up, and then Jen gave this talk. Um, there's a wonderful concept that I learned from uh, the amazing John Allspaw, which is this idea of work as imagined versus work as done. And that comes into okay. organizational stuff a lot. This is a great example of that. Nobody does that in virtual events because in, in person events, people sometimes have a tendency to come in, give their talk, peace out. Virtual events, they do it all the time. The only reason this works in in-person single track events is because you have to sit there and watch all the other talks. Yeah. So so that's why I think it's BS that this argument, because it, that's not what happens. It 100% happened at Deserted Island DevOps, and here's why. All the speakers sat in Zoom together all day long. You didn't have to. It was never even required, but it was made available. So most folks decided to just sit, like the Zoom was where you were presenting, you know, but the Zoom room was open for all the speakers all day. And we all just sat there on mute and listened to each other's talks and during the breaks, talked to each other. And it was a wonderful, and because of that, I respond like I adjusted my talk to things I heard earlier in the day that were in Ian Coldwater's keynote. Aaron Aldrich's talk was after mine and he riffed off of they riffed off of things that I said. But the other thing was it was a wonderful uh replica that replica, but in spirit of the speaker dinner, the green yeah. room, the mm -hmm. speaker room, like how you just we sort of all vibed. And it was enough that like so this year for Desert Island DevOps, they um, we did it in person a little bit. Like uh, they, uh, Aaron, or sorry, uh, Austin found an island. He's like, where could we do an island? It apparently it was Mackinac Island in Michigan. And the um, the speakers and alumni, that's how I got to go, were invited to go. And it was sure. broadcast from there. There were speakers who did it virtually and remotely rather, and it was fine. But there's that vibe. So my whole point is it's going back to like that in-person connection Um there's different ways to to replicate that or not replicate that, but to achieve that. But again, going back to why do we do this? We do this because we want to talk to people. We want to have connections with people. And it's, it's really weird. Um, and you talk about like this perception of being influencers and stuff. And it's, I mean, honestly, some people lean into this and sometimes it's thrust upon people. Uh, and I've, I've learned to shift how I talk about people and how I feel about things, because when you're on the other side of the equation a little bit, you know, empathy is a lot easier when it's your lived example yeah. versus having yeah. to, yeah. um, so I used to joke and, and, and kind of in a, in a passive aggressive way, uh, and I'm not going to name the person's name cause it would be, you know, but this, this pretty well-known person in the DevOps space, um, I said, we'll, we'll say Joe Smith. I say, Joe Smith has met me for the first time four times. Yeah. And yeah. we would talk all the time. And then you know what? Now, that doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. Because I know it wasn't disingenuous. I know that Joe Smith met thousands of people yeah. a month. And I, I this happens to me now, too. And I feel bad. So I'm going to go on record now. If if you come up to me and, and, I, and I act like we haven't met before, not act like, but I introduce myself, and your response is to say, we've met before, it's not because you're immemorable. It's not because I didn't appreciate it. Honestly, 
I have very good friends that I don't remember how we've met. And actually, sure. someone who's my good friend online keeps insisting we met at Mocktoberfest. I've never been to the state of Maine, much <laughs> less been to Mocktoberfest. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's um, we just want to have good conversations with people. No, and... I mean, what a few things that you said were absolutely like I have a hang up. I have that particular hang up that you mentioned, right? Where if I've met somebody and I say, and they say, oh, I'm blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, we've met. Like I have like this internal thing. It's like, oh, I must not be important enough for that person to care. But I've pivoted the, the, my thought process a little bit. I'm actually quite impressed if somebody does remember who I am because of what you just said. Like they've met thousands of people. They've had to take selfies, which I think is hilarious that, like, people want to take selfies with, like, tech celebrities. Like, right? <laughs> uh, but, like, I'm like, okay, so I must have meant something enough to this person for them to actually remember me and remember the conversation. Or that person has, like, some, you know, Molly Ringwald level of, like, you know, complete full photographic memory. Right? And I wanted to ple- I wanted to shout out Genjanov, who's said a couple of really, really interesting things in mm-hmm. chat, right? Like, ever get tired of hearing I hate doing pre-recorded videos because I can't gauge the audience? Like, that's – I've heard that a million times. Like, full disclosure, I used to kind of run developer keynotes uh, at a particular point in my career. And it was like – you'd always have the conversation where it's like pre-recorded. It's in the can for a month. Like, how exciting can you really be about it? It's like, okay, well, watch – Twit, like watch Twitter, watch Twitch when when it's airing and see how exciting it is because it's new for everybody else. I think in general, we're too close to how the sausage gets made in a lot of cases, and it really takes a lot of the fun out of it. And I think one thing that's really, really interesting about pre-recording is that to an extent, the fun is taken out of it because it is planned, it is tactical, you don't feed off of that energy on stage or in a virtual room, so I get all of that. But at the same time, for the people that you're actually making it for, they have never seen it. They're not, pay- they're not paying attention to everything that's going on in tech. Like, we have this assumption in tech that everybody knows everything. So, like, <laughs> when we have conversations with each other, it's like, oh, you know about this latest Web3 stuff or we were talking before, like, DevOps is dead or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, you go and talk to anybody random at a conference, they'll be like, I have a bunch of Windows servers with IIS and I'm trying to just, like – keep them patched right yeah. and that's their job right well you, think- we used to have this with conferences like devops days were like this where it'd be like everyone wants original content like oh well that talk was given at devops days des moines so we can't have a devops days tampa bay and i'm like nobody saw it that's going to yeah. the other event it's a local event yeah even with them online i'll tell you this i also so what if they saw it already it might be a little different yeah. right you you might change but uh sorry i didn't want to no but yeah it, it's and even if it's the exact same, who cares, right? Ex- I mean, I personally, like I, when I, and I, I think you're probably similar. I don't have a memorized talk track when I speak yep. because like that takes all of the fun out of it for me. I'd very much rather look at audience reaction. If audience likes this, I drill a bit more into this. If audience, <laughs> if audience does not like this, I still talk about it anyway, because I'm trying to turn them. Like I respond a bit. And if I was to just go, you know, walk to one end of the stage, say my five sentences, walk to another end of the stage. Like it becomes very robotic. And then it's basically the equivalent of a pre-recorded talk, right? I I will tell you one one of the things when we were in the green room before and talking about things that could set me off on a rant. One was, (laughs) we're talking about something and I made a comment about like so-and-so, we just need to get over ourselves. Conference speaking, 100%, because here's my hot take. 
some of the people that are considered the best, like that, or at least consider themselves, what others would say are like the top tier tech conference speakers are barely adequate public speakers. You know, so we get over. No, don't get me wrong. There are exceptions. There are some who are masters and perfection of the craft, but they are also not the ones who will sit there and say things like, I don't practice because it doesn't keep me free. Like someone who's good at public speaking, you practice, mm-hmm. right? Now, practice does not mean memorization. Mm-hmm. And and I, I think it was Jordan Sissel, somebody, because I was ranting about this on Twitter a while ago, made the good point, which is say, if you think about a musician or an athlete or whatever, when you're practicing, you don't practice the whole game. You don't always sit down and practice the song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you have a dress rehearsal, but you practice bits, and yeah. parts. And um, and that's the thing. The more that we can get into it, but I agree with you 100%. Like my talks, I don't have a transcript. I don't have a script. There are parts I will because I'm like, I need to say these words in this order this way because otherwise it doesn't make any sense. Sure. Like, yeah. you know, but usually my speaker notes are tell this story now or whatever. But I'm laughing about when you say how the audience reacts. So one of my first, uh, when I first started going back to in-person talks, uh, the first couple was a talk that I had given online a few times and it really got messed up in person because of the audience Mm -hmm. because of the timing because when i was doing it virtually it was timed perfect right so to speak it fit into the time and then the first time that i did it in person i ran a little well i didn't run long but i caught myself you know it was one of those when you're going you're like oh there's five minutes left and i still have 10 slides so then i gave it a week later at a different devops days and you're like, oh, you made the thing that triggered my head was, oh, you like that? Here's some more. So I was sort of going, and I was like, oh, you like that? Let me tell you three more jokes about yeah. Andrew Clay Schaefer and whatever. And then I hit this point, and I'm like, there's 10 minutes left in my talk, and I'm still in the intro. <laughs> like, like there, it was a talk about it was a talk that included some DevOps history, and the history is only supposed to be like for like 10 minutes. It's just the build up to the whole thing. And I was like, I've just spent this entire talk just telling jokes and stories, and we haven't actually gotten to anything. So. <laughs> no, I. It's, it, uh, I mean, like uh, this can literally be a, a multi-hour-long conversation about. Like you said, something quite spicy, right? And I just want to acknowledge uh, acknowledge that, right? The idea that if you are a great public speaker, you might not be good at speaking at on on stage, right? And vice versa, right? Because I think there there is something to say. Like people have different superpowers in different scenarios, right? Like at the end of the day. And I, my wife tells me this all the time. Is like, do you practice these talks? I'm like, no, I can't practice them because if I practice them, I'm going to overthink it and it's going to be just a miserable mm-hmm. experience for me. And I think some people need that structure. Like, for instance, maybe you go, you always run long when you're speaking on a stage because you feed off the audience and you want to really get that great audience experience. But during that time, like you kind of, you kind of meander down a path you didn't plan on going or you double down, maybe tell a couple more jokes, whatever it is, right? You run into a situation where, oh, like I have some really, I have a, and I don't know, like I'm very guilty of doing cool demos at the end of talks and then having to rush through the cool demo because I'm over and I'm like, ah, like this is really, really exciting stuff and people aren't going to remember it because I did uh, a four minute, five minute demo. I did it in 90 seconds. Right. And so like being able to time manage is really, really important. But I want to acknowledge something that you said as, as I keep on talking without getting you an opportunity to speak. Um, it's really, really exciting to hear from someone that's like just because you enjoy 
talking to people doesn't mean that you have to be um, speaking on stage. You also don't have to be a great public speaker to speak on stage. Some of the best talks I've ever seen are by people who are very introverted, but they're absolutely brilliant and they can tell a really good story, right? Honestly, and this is my spicy take, the worst talk I've ever seen, I won't name a name because that's not fair, was the person that would least expect them to give a shit talk, right? And it, like, I've never, I'd never seen that person on stage before. I had been a, twi- a follower of them on Twitter. I still mm-hmm. love their content, but let's just say they, it, I don't know if it was they phoned in their, their presentation or whatever it is. I was like, this is not impressive at all. And I was very shocked. So I just wanted to, you know, blankly say to people who want to get into public speaking, there are many different types of personalities that can fit into public speaking. Um, and I yeah. want you to say something and then I want to get yeah. to some of the audience. That's comments. exactly exa- I want I want it because you made made a point that I think is really important for me to 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 reiterate on, which is so I, I made a little shit comment about being barely adequate public speakers. That's totally fine, by the way. Just don't act like you aren't. Other than that. That's that's my yeah. my issue is not, oh, everybody needs to be exceptional public speakers, but people who consider themselves to be exceptional public speakers in tech are barely adequate public speakers everywhere oh, yeah. else. Oh, that's yeah. that's more of my my point. But all that matters, if you want to give a talk, first of all, yes, please do so. Um, yes. And I'm happy to help anybody who's trying to, to to get in the first time. But I want to give you my couple little quick little tip because you mentioned that. So so this came up last week at KubeCon. I was talking to a bunch of people. I said the couple things to remember if this is your first time giving a talk. Number one, nobody knows what you meant to do but you. And contrawise, nobody will know you screw up unless you tell them. So keep that in mind, right? You know, that's true. That's that's the and and the audience wants you to succeed. Generally speaking, everyone's on your side. Now that said, there's a really wonderful This American Life episode uh, called Fiascos, and it's an interesting thing that happens in a fiasco. There's it's it's a story being told about this uh, performance of Peter Pan and, and this play in the community theater in the 70s, and it just all goes to hell. But one of the points that's made is it's devolving so badly that they say there's a point the audience turns and they actually now want to start to see it fail because it's going so badly. That will never happen at your tech talk. However, go check out that This American Life episode because it is uncomfortably hilarious. There is something to say too about, like you said something, like if you have an interest in talking uh, on stage, please do. Like, especially if you don't look like Maddie or me. Like if, if you have an interest in speaking, and you don't think that people want to hear what you have to say, you're probably wrong, more than likely. So I think that's really an important thing to call out too. Like I've talked to people who want to get started in speaking, want to get started in DevRel, and they always ask me the same question. It's like, like I have to be like this personality. Like I have to have a gimmick. I mean, like you have blue hair, so I mean you do yeah. have a gimmick, but like whatever. It's uh, a recent <laughs> gimmick though. That's the thing. Like exactly. it's, you know, it yeah. helps. By the way, it super helps in the masking culture at conferences yeah. because it's really hard to recognize people when they wear a mask and people see me from across the way. Um so yeah. that could be good or bad. No, and I'm giving you a hard time anyway. Like I think yeah, yeah. but I think in I think in general, like you can like I've said, like I, the best talks that I've seen have been by people who typically people wouldn't expect them to have like a really like excitable extroverted personality. It really is about the passions that you have and the way that you tell stories. And that's what resonates with folks. Right. 
Um, I've told this story a million times. The best talk, and I've actually told the speaker this too. The best talk I've ever seen in my entire life was at an event. It, it was at Microsoft Build a handful of years ago. Um, there was a, a, pro, a, a program manager for the Azure Functions team. She was doing demos of Azure Functions and then she lost connection to the internet like five minutes into the talk. And she didn't get internet connection back the entire talk. So she delivered an hour long talk about the cloud without internet connectivity. Without And I've told her this to her face and she's like, I literally, like I couldn't go back <laughs> on stage for like a year after doing that. Like yeah. you, you, the ability to tell a story without the tools needed to tell the story and still deliver is what makes great storytelling and what makes great public speaking, makes great technical speaking, whatever you want to call it. I agree. Yeah, I, I think. Um, let's... Oh, wait, the Jen has it. We have a question here. In oh, the okay, chat. cool. What are y'all thoughts on using mistakes as ways to create connection with the audience? I mean, I put my foot in my mouth constantly. And I think that's kind of my, my shtick. Like I'm very in, in nature, very self-deprecating. And I do that on stage as well, because I think it's it helps me connect with an audience. And also I think it's entertaining to kind of bash myself. I'd love to get your thoughts though as well. Uh, so I will put a caveat that there, our answer will be different again to somebody who doesn't look like us. Yes. So, and also remember, I, I also want to put a little bit of a thing where I made the comment about the audience wants to see you succeed. Unfortunately, that is not always the case. And especially if you are an under-indexed person, there are probably mm -hmm. a bunch of, we'll just say the word jerks. I was going to say a different word yeah. uh, in the audience yeah. who don't want to see you succeed. But the majority of people do. Um, so a, it's it's your comfort level when it comes to the yeah. mistakes. And it's your, if it makes you feel more comfortable, but you, but, but, uh, and, and it definitely makes you more personable, right? For sure. Mm -hmm. You know, if you just sort of shrug it off, but that is a, a personality thing. And for some people that's not comfortable. Yep. Um, but for me, yeah, I'll stumble over my words sometimes and I'll sit there and go, ah, ah, okay. I swear I'm a professional talkie person or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also that does come from, um, comfort and a place of authority, right? You know, if, if, if you're, you know, um, if it makes you more uncomfortable, then uh, don't do it. That's that's the gist. If it if it makes you feel comfortable, what's more important for you as the speaker, uh, especially if you're you're newer to it, is whatever makes you comfortable, not what yes. makes the audience more comfortable. Yeah. Um, I did, but I it's did totally have... okay to not be super slick and polished. That's yes. the thing. I mean, just sort yes. of be like, hey, we're just people, right? Yeah. You know, they'd yeah. be up there say, I'm just up here doing my thing. Um, but uh, but focusing on it, yeah. Yeah, a, I, is is going to make you more nervous. And maybe. I'll add one little wrinkle to what you said, and it kind of jumps on top of what our friend Jeff Fritz just said in chat. So I actually, I want to see someone fail because I want to see them turn out of it because that's how I connect to that person, right? So like if, if I'm not like actively looking for demo fails, but I know they're going to happen because that's how life works. When I see a demo fail, I immediately get that feeling of, oh, I can't wait to see what they do, how they turn it, how they get around it, or how they react to it in general. Because that's that next level of connected tissue between myself, the audience, is that person, the presenter, right? So that's my two cents is like everybody – I. Everybody wants everybody to succeed. I totally agree. But I also am totally okay with seeing somebody fail because I know they're well, going to get around it. Having a misstep is not a failure as a speaker. That's you don't correct. want to see them fail as a speaker. You, you're okay if there's a hiccup. I just post uh, someone on my team at Ivan um, 
Elena is giving a talk at DevRelCon uh, next month in Prague for anyone who's going to DevRelCon. And her talk is called Using Science to Calm Your Nerves Before Public Speaking. Mm. And I am fascinated to see this talk. I'm super excited. Um, I'm also speaking there, and I don't know about what yet. But uh, <laughs> so anybody, my point is any of you who are going to DevRelCon, um, you should watch Elena's talk. And hopefully they, I believe DevRelCon records their talks. So Yeah, I think they, yeah, I believe everything gets posted up on YouTube at the end. At least I feel like I've seen talks from DevRelCon. Maybe we'll see. But I think anyway, everybody, if you're paying attention, most of the people that are paying attention, are, they're in tech Twitter and they're in tech Twitch, like figure out a way to see some of this content. Because I looked at the the agenda for it. And there's like some great stuff. There's definitely some great stuff on there. Um, I would like to kind of transition our, our talk a little bit and talk about something that we were talking before. And I think it's just funny to talk about like this whole idea of what, you know, for a little bit of context, Maddie has made a career of sorts talking about DevOps. I have made somewhat of a career talking about DevOps related topics. And I'd like to talk about the, the phrase DevOps and what it means to you. Like, I think, in the, and there's a reason why I, I want to kind of chat about it for a, a few minutes, because it's interesting. But like, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what DevOps is to you specifically. Excellent. Um, so I do a lot of uh, discussion about the definition of DevOps, which is super fun, and sometimes a thing to have fun with. Um, there have been a few uh, places where it, where it goes. I used to say, uh, John Vincent years ago had a great blog post where he said DevOps means giving a shit and mm -hmm. never saying that's not my job. Um, so a lot of it, though, is, again, Dev DevOps being um, very... Um... Oh, hi, Sebi! New person on my team. That That's right. Today's your first... Okay, sorry. I don't want to get distracted, but somebody <laughs> just joined my team today, and I just realized that today is 1st November. So um, anyway, yes. Um, the... Uh... Anyway, uh, De DevOps is uh, so like Donovan Brown has said that it's like the union of people, process, and products to deliver value. You know, yeah, and that's the quote. And fundamentally, DevOps—that's that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. And I always think about it as DevOps. I always like to say too, DevOps is not a team title or tool. Um, that said, I don't uh, make fun of people for having the title DevOps engineer for two reasons. Uh, one is. Um, uh, the title DevOps engineer is likely to get you about a 30 to 40% pay bump. So go get your bag. And number two, as Ian Coldwater has pointed out, and this really is what turned it around for me is when we get on Twitter and talk shit about people with the title DevOps engineer, um, most people with that title didn't give it to themselves. Yeah. And it's just making them feel bad about themselves and it's not even up to them. So uh, I like to be, but to me, when I look at that, to me, it's just more like a code smell. It's more of a, like, I've got questions about your organization. Maybe yeah. it's okay. But fundamentally, DevOps is about um, cross-functional work. Um, it's not about devs doing ops. That was yeah. called no ops, and that didn't work, right? It's not about yeah. operational folks coding. That's part of it. It's not SRE. It's not continuous delivery. Those are all things that help with it. But fundamentally, it's about cross-functional and short feedback loops. And I uh, you know, told Isaac in the green room, people always say, why is it called DevOps? And this sounds like a joke, but it's true. It's because Agile System Administration was too long of a name for a conference. Yeah. So that's why we have DevOps days. And the DevOps movement, whether you know it or not, came out of DevOps days. Yeah. That's where it started. 
And it would have been called Agile System Administration, but that was too long of a name for a conference. Yeah, I think in general, too, like DevOps is the name that we get and the name that we don't deserve, right? Like to, to <laughs> but I, I think it, it is, it's interesting because tech has this problem in general. And we were talking about this before we went live, like tech in general, we're very guilty of like, okay, what's the tool to summarize this phrase or what's the tool to summarize this role or whatever, right? Like you're a DevOps engineer. It's like, okay, so you care about CI and CD. CI and CD are a very, very small microcosm of DevOps, right? So it, it's very, very funny. Like when you see tools that get advertised, like the complete end-to-end -end DevOps tool, it's like, what does that mean? Like, can you tell me like, does that mean that's like people management, organizational management too? No, it's like, it's literally like a CI CD tool. Well, right, right. It's yeah. like I said, you can, you can, you can't buy DevOps, but I can sell it to you. Yeah. And I've also talked about, you know, people will say like, so when we talk about DevOps, the other, the other, it's not really a definition, but the framework still makes sense to talk about comms, culture, automation, lean yeah. measurement and sharing. And, you know, I, I've said this before in some of my talks where I say, you know, it seems like we, people are like, oh, in DevOps, you're only talking about culture. And it's like, no, they're all equally important, but I don't have to convince a bunch of engineers to play with tools. Nope. Nope, right. So we're going to talk more about the people part of this a socio-technical system. We have to talk about the first part of socio-technical because y'all are fine with the technical, <laughs> yeah. right? You will do that all day long. It's no problem. So yeah. it's also the hardest part. Like organizational change is the hardest yeah. part of anything, right? Like there are still companies that are building applications on mainframes, right? Yep. Not not because it's easy to find mainframe engineers or it's easy to build mainframe applications, but because the organizational shift would be detrimental to the business. And because like, everything's working just fine. Exactly. And it, you would invest a whole true. lot of time that's and effort true. to change something that's actually fine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I, it, there's, like, again, a million things we could talk about in this topic. Like, I think... Yeah. And <laughs> in, in, in the reason why we're talking about it is because at this particular time in this, you know... Today is November 1st, the year of our Lord 2022, like, you know, DevOps is supposedly dead, right? And it's, it's been replaced by a new phrase, which I don't think that phrase is helpful, but that's just a, I, a I, I'll just say I'm actually, I don't think it's anything new. Like everything old is new again. I'm the, my whole yeah. thing is like, I like to talk crap on Twitter about the marketing around this thing, yeah. but I've been talking about this thing for years, like, and wanted and, and treating your platform and your infrastructure as a product. I can point you back to talks of mine from 2018 on this topic. And I don't mean I invented it. I'm just saying, this is my way of saying I I'm not against it. However, I'm against it. not being a replacement, being a replacement for DevOps, because to me, Platform engineering implements DevOps, just like SRE implements DevOps. What so, I'm hearing right. from you as the official owner of the title DevOps. Um, oh, geez. The, no, that's the, Andrew Schaefer. And the person who I used to have the license. I used to have the license plate DevOps. Now I have the license plate KubeCuddle. So uh, I have moved on cool. in my technology. Cool. Anyway. Yeah. No, I, 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 it's, but it is funny uh, that I think in tech, uh, we're, very vict we're very guilty of like, what's the next thing? Like, instead of focusing on the current yes. thing and enjoying the current thing, like, what's the next thing? Like, we've seen that over the last year with, like, things like Web3 and crypto and blah, blah, blah. And now we're seeing, like, oh, we need to change names of things. And this is, you know, as we're getting towards the end of our conversation, I'm just going to ask you this really loaded question that you can rant on. Like, are we in too impatient in tech and don't, and we don't get, to, and we don't enjoy the nice things we have? We're too busy looking for the next best thing? 
Yeah, I mean, it's like uh, shiny object syndrome, right? Yeah. You know, and um, it's like, you know, my joke is I'm like, my, my friend, you know, moved his blog onto Kubernetes, and now it only goes down twice a month. It's like, you know, hammer looking for a nail. Uh, so a lot of times it's just go back to what's the value you're trying to provide to yourself, to your customers, to your colleagues, to your teammates. How can you do that better, right? And I go back and always, you know, it's 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 a kind of a bit of a joke. You know, people say like, "What's the most important DevOps book to read?" And I always say, "The first one is Freakonomics. Go learn about incentives, yeah. and then you will understand yeah. DevOps." And there's definitely problematic things in Freakonomics, and with those writers, don't get me wrong, but still. And then the other one is this wonderful book called Switch, and it's about change management. And I don't mean I told change management. It's the book is called Switch: How to Change When Change is Hard, mm-hmm. and that's DevOps, right? That's the how are we, and, and and where this goes into when it's all about incentives is the core wall of confusion metaphors in DevOps are about how do you measure a good developer shipping code quickly, shipping features? Yep. Yep. How do operations people traditionally measure themselves? Uptime or lack of downtime, conflict. But the reality is nobody actually gives a crap about either of those things. We're here to sell shoes. Provided that your website sells shoes. If it doesn't, yeah. then that's very confusing. Yeah. So I always tell people, I say, you know, I'm giving a DevOps talk or something and say, hey, how does your company make money? Mm-hmm. If you don't know, go find out. I'll wait. And yeah. one of the things I thought was super interesting to me is I spent a year when I was at Red Hat, I was primarily working in the public sector, specifically with state, local, and education organizations on DevOps transformation yeah. and, and, and this type of stuff. And the public sector can answer that question so much better. Now, the question yeah. isn't how do you make money? The question is, what is the mission? Yes. Right? What is your org- your department's mission? Everybody in the public sector knows that. People in the private sector, they think they know, but they'll tell you how they make money and it's wrong most yeah. of the time. They'll, they'll, they'll know the thing they sell, but that's not where revenue comes from. That's not, and, and so the more you understand the business of your organization, you understand how the work you do fits to that. And we actually now all have the same mission yes. right versus and then we don't work against each other so like i uh, uh, sorry I'm, I'm very distracted right now but uh <laughs> one last thing I had a friend of mine who um was a sysadmin uh because we wasn't devops engineer yet uh for a large uh retailer uh based in minneapolis and they were coming up around the christmas season and the product you know folks whatever they wanted to release some changes and my friend was like, no, 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 I have to keep the website up. And her boss said, no, your job is not to keep the website up. Your job is to facilitate us being able to sell things to our customers, right? Yes. And have our customers be able to, you know, yes, they can't do that if the website is down, but that's not why we exist. We don't exist to provide an up, you know, website. We exist for people to, so if we need to make a change to enable that better so they can, so our customers can use the website better. Yeah, that's what's important, yeah. you know. And so it's but but that's not how we think within our our teams. And that's DevOps, right? Yeah. Get get ourselves all rowing in the same direction. Oh man, rowing in the same direction, that's a great metaphor, great anecdote, whatever you want to call it. It's awesome. I love that. I mean, we're like we're at the top of the hour. So we're yeah. done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, hey, you met, you met your requirement, by the way. Like, like yes. what Isaac said to me in the green room is, he said, the only thing I'm looking for is I want it to be that when we hit the top of the hour, I say, well, we've hit an hour, and you go, man, already? And yeah. ta-da, that's, yeah. that's where we're no, at. No, and I think, you know, this is kind of my entire thing. Like, if I can have a, a, a passionate conversation with somebody that I enjoy having a uh, chat with, like, it's it's it hits it for me. Hopefully, people that are tuning in uh, liked it as well. I mean, that's it. 
So like I, Matt, Maddie, I'd love to kind of get, you know, if you have any closing words, you know, thoughts in general, please share them. Um, I think the biggest thing that I would say is just, uh, and it's a very DevOpsy thing is just let's, let's be kind to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, I may or may not have had an interesting misadventure this weekend on, uh, Twitter where I had, uh, a lot more attention paid to myself than I ever have in my entire social media life. And, uh, maybe people weren't necessarily very mm -hmm. kind. Um, and so I'm not saying you should be kind because people were mean to me, but just an always reminder, let's mostly be kind to each other unless it's someone who wishes harm on your dogs and then you don't have to be kind to Ugh, them. Gross. So that's uh, the exception. <laughs> no, no. And sorry to hear that. And, you know, yep. my wife has a shirt that says haters going to hate. And I think that's about the best way that you can phrase it. Um, I did have one last question for you. And it's a question that we ask all of our guests and it's, it's a fun one. So I, you know, bear with me. If you could, you know, summarize what we've talked about so far, you know, tech, open source, DevOps, the community around it. And you only had one real word to describe the way you feel or, or how you would think about it. What's that one word for you? Humans. Humans. That works for me. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Matty Stratton, thank you so much. If you're not following him, it's at Matt Stratton on Twitter. And you can find him all over the place talking about all sorts of interesting stuff. So tune in for some of that stuff and watch him, you know, virtually, in person, everywhere. Uh, and, you know, again, I'd like to just, again, what Matt Matty said, be kind. Enjoy the rest of your day, everybody. Isaac Levin for Coffee and Open Source. Take care.